one of the things you are when you're an entrepreneur is a builder. You're literally creating something out of nothing, whether it's a startup or a new division or a new service offering or even new marketing materials, new ads, new copy, new content, whatever it is, we we are blessed. We get the gift as entrepreneurs to be in constant creation mode, you know, because that's that's literally how you build the future of business. This episode is honestly one of my favorite. Uh, this guest is going to be talking about just his incredible journey through the entrepreneurial arc from the highs to the lows to the spiritual awakenings and a bunch of lessons along the way. So I, I really hope you take some time to sit with this one, write some notes. I mean, there's just so much good stuff that, uh, that he shares with us today. So I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the dream beyond. I'm your host, Nick Tarasio. I'm a CEO, musician, and overall seeker of truth, inspiration, and simply put how to live the most fulfilling life possible. Growing up surrounded by extremely wealthy and successful people gave me unique and unfiltered perspectives of those who have seemingly made it. And on The Dream Beyond, we're letting you in on what it really takes to achieve your dreams, what happens when it turns out your destination isn't the promised land you were expecting, and how to process the lessons from your past while mapping a course to true fulfillment. Let's get started. All right, hey everybody. He is the CEO of Scaling Up Coaches, and managing director and partner of Align 5, a strategic consultancy firm. He's also a serial entrepreneur with over 25 years of experience as a CEO and investment banker. He was the founder and CEO of Apple Tree Answers, a telephone answering service started in 1955. And my favorite thing about him, he's a fellow pilot flying my favorite airplane, the TBM 850. Uh, please welcome John Ratliff. Thanks so much for being here today, John. Thanks, Nick. Good to see you. I wish it was uh, 15 years experience, not over 25, but Good to be. <laughs> good yeah. To be <laughs> All good. I'm on, I'm on my way to you, man. I'm, I'm building that experience. So I appreciate I it. Um, and, you know, I, I was really affected by you when I saw you speak at one of the scaling up conferences and you were talking about your journey. And I think it was about Michael Singer's book or something like that. And I just saw you like really kind of go there with the emotional stuff. And it, it made me want to touch on that today, but even go a little further back, which was You've had this incredible success throughout your career, at least from what it seems from the outside. And I was wondering, like, what was that early dream for you when you were a teenager, when you were just finding your way towards business? What what was that? What was the first thing you really dreamed of? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I, the running joke in my family was I was 10 years old and, you know, instead of fireman or policeman, it, when when I got the question, what do you want to do when you grow up? I didn't even know the word entrepreneur. It was really not a word that was being used a lot back then. But um, I kind of always had this idea that I wanted to own a business. And I was fascinated by it from an early age. And I don't know if it was a desire to be independent or, or you know, call my own shots. or I, I'm not sure. But I knew from a very, very young age. And, you know, I was the kid with the paper route and you know, always thinking about, you know, what can I do to mow lawns and then hired other kids to mow lawns. And, uh, and then in, in high school did some things, had a business in college doing marketing. And, um, so it was, it was really kind of in my blood, I think the whole way And I got out of college and, uh, I worked for, uh, I worked for a wireless phone company for about six or seven months as a commission only salesperson. And then, convinced the carrier back then to let me open my own stores. I was the ripe old age of 22 and the rest is history. So 
I haven't worked for anyone since that. That was one of the two jobs that I ever held was the commission-only salesperson selling wireless phones. So, where, where do you think it came from? You said it was in you know you you felt it in your blood, but who who inspired that, or where do you think the source was for you? Yeah, you know it's fascinating. My dad uh, was a Fortune 500 C-suite level executive, so ran global sales for a company that at their peak was probably Fortune 350 and reported directly to the CEO. Um, and I, I kind of just love the idea of business in general. And But what I didn't love watching my dad's career and was how long it took him to get into the C-suite. So I thought, you know, the, the, the quick solution is you figure it out on your own and you start your own company and um, so I think my love of business came from watching my dad and kind of how he operated in the business world. And then um, I, I think my uh, impatience was probably what led me to pursue the entrepreneurial route. It's funny, I interned at the company that, you know, that he worked with in college. And this was in the late 80s, early 90s. And there were a bunch of sales guys there that were making, there, there were two guys in that office making seven figures and like, 1990, which is, you know, a massive amount back then. And I, I knew then I wanted to be entrepreneurial and they were like, you're crazy. You should go work in corporate America. And this is where, you know, this is, this is where you can make more money than anywhere else. And, um, in hindsight, you know, I, I, I still stand by my decision to be an entrepreneur, but there was certainly some pressure early on to, you know, to go a different path. But I think that was probably why I didn't want to wait. I didn't want to take the time. It's probably why I'm not a doctor. I didn't want to do 12 years of medical school. I wanted to kind of make my mark straight away. I didn't want to go to college, yeah. to be honest with you. <laughs> I like uh, to you speak about becoming a doctor like a jail sentence. Well, I don't want to do my no, 12, you know? It's, my uh, my it's, younger brother is a neurologist, and I, you know, I watched his career. and, and uh, But, you know, I think he was in his early to mid-30s before he actually got to get out in the world and kind of do what he does, so. Uh, maybe yeah. it's my impatience. I think that's probably in hindsight my massive level of impatience that that led me to be entrepreneurial. And then once you got there and you started, you know, you started your own business and you were kind of moving through that. Was it different than what you thought the dream would be? Like, was the dream to own a business and to be running a business? Was the dream to exit a business? Like, you know, I'm curious how how that compared to the reality of it when you were actually in the trenches. No, the dream was to own and run, never really in the beginning thought about exit. And, you know, probably the most surprising part of all of it was, um, A, how much you don't know, you know, the, the knowledge gap when there's a lot of subtle things about being successful as an entrepreneur. And B, how lonely it is because most of my friends went traditional routes. One, you know, my best friends growing up, one's an attorney, one's a school teacher, um, and you know when you when you sit around, it's, it's difficult to explain the entrepreneurial journey to others, and and it and that's you know we'll get to the Michael Singer stuff. I think it really creates kind of a sense of loneliness, and and I I actually believe that one of the things that leads you to to be entrepreneurial um, certainly ADD is you know most entrepreneurs carry the ADD trait, so you're you're just sort of antsy and unsettled, and I, I think that's part of it, but. You also see things in the world that aren't optimal and you have a desire to make them optimal. So I, I think it it can be frustrating, it can be lonely, it can be hard to talk about. And um, that was probably the biggest surprise. You know, I I uh, 
I, and the early, you know, when you start and you're in startup mode and you don't know a lot, it, you know, the early days can really be frustrating and they were for sure. Were there, I mean, were there actually moments where, you know, you had that, that corporate uh, person you were talking about in your head, it was saying you should have gone this path. Did you have those moments of the like incredible self-doubt? So I started the, I started a wireless company, um, seven months after, you know, working for the, the one real job that I had and managed to sell that business actually to my former employer about two years later and started call center business, which turned into apple tree answers. Um, and I was about that business was 24, seven, 365 and started completely from scratch. And I did a lot of the shoulder period work where, you know, someone had to be there around the clock to answer the phone. I was trying to build a business during the day and we had some people that were in during the day to answer the phone, but I lived at the office. It was in a commercially zoned apartment complex and I lived in the office and I would do all the overnights and weekends. And there were, there were literally weeks and possibly months where I never left the office because I was, I was the one answering the phone. And there was a moment about two years in, uh, it was four in the morning on a Monday. So it was, I worked the entire weekend by myself. It was it was Saturday night, Sunday night, and then Sunday into Monday. And I had not slept more than two hours in probably, I don't know, four or five days. And I had this had a big buzzer next to my bed. So when the phone rang, the buzzer would go off and, and wake me up. And we had residential neighbors upstairs. They love that. But so the buzzer would go off and uh, it would wake me from a dead sleep and I'd go and stumble in and enter the phone. And it was about, like I said, 4 a.m. Monday morning and the buzzer went off and I, I was done. I'd had enough. And um, The way I had it set up, so I was sort of sounded awake enough to actually be on the phone. I had to walk by this closet in the apartment and all the equipment for the call center, like the phones and the computers and stuff were in this closet. <laughs> And uh, I walked by and I, I glanced in there, the light was on and I'm like, I'm done, I've had enough. And I went in there and I literally grabbed kind of the mainframe computer switch that ran everything and I put my hands on it. And I was gonna yank it out, out of the patch. So I was gonna yank it out of the wall, throw it on the ground and sleep for two days because I was done. And I, I put my hands on it, I reached out and, and I grabbed it. And I had one of those, like, you know, they talk about your life passes before your eyes. Like, I actually saw it was crazy, but I saw kind of my business life pass before my eyes. And and I realized in that moment that if I, I'm so close, if I just gut this out and figure out a way to get through the next couple months and couple of years, that there's something really good on the other end. And um, I have my whole kind of mindset changed in that, in, in that instant. And the sense of calm came over me and I, I was obviously wide awake at this point. And I went and I sat down and this, there's a punchline to the story, but I sat down and, and the, the call was what we did in the call center business was we answered the phone for companies when they weren't there to do it themselves. For some of them, it was around the clock. For some, it was after hours. This happened to be an after hours one. And it was, it was Delaware Express. They used to pick people up and take them to the airport. And four o'clock, they got lots of calls at four o'clock in the morning. So I sit down to answer it. I'm all ready to help this person figure out how they're going to get to the airport or their driver's not there or whatever. 
So I answered the phone. I said, good morning, Delaware Express. How may I help you? And I hear a voice on the other end of the phone go, oh, sorry, man, wrong number. And hangs up. So I almost threw it all away over a, a wrong number for one of our clients. But it was that moment where I just I, I just had enough of a shift that I knew if I got it out, I was gonna I was gonna be okay. So that was my it it, it lasted That's an instant, one. but I was ready to be in the C suite in that instant for sure. But how, how did you and how did you make meaning of that on the other side? I mean, it sounds like now you've put it into a a, a clear box of like, oh, that was in many ways my life flashing before my eyes and <laughs> yeah. I saw the two paths in the moment. I mean, did you think you're crazy or delusional? Like, or was it really this knowing that came over you of like, that was something beyond me? So I sat down and after it was the wrong number, I just sort of laughed and I just kind of sat there and said, all right, like, you know, I, and back then I am now, but back then I wasn't a big, like, you know, that's a sign kind of guy, but, um, but I, I sat there for probably 10 minutes or so. And I just thought like, I've put so much work and so much effort to get to this moment to throw it away. Now would be a disservice to all the people that supported me to all the people that, you know, we didn't really have outside investors, but my family had lent money and I owed money to friends and family that, that helped me along the way. And to, to quit would be not only quitting on me, but it'd be quitting on them. And, um, yeah, just, you know, it all should now listen, there were a lot of dark days between that, that realization and today, but it just kind of changed my perspective a little bit on, you know, there's more people than just me that, you know, are, are counting on me here. And, um, you know, we had at the time probably, geez, a hundred, 150 customers. And it would have been a lot to, un I'm, I'm glad that I came to my senses and didn't throw it all, all away in that, that moment, but it would have been a lot to unwind it over weeks or months. So, you know, that was probably the revelation was, Hey, there's a lot that's gone into this. A lot of people are counting on you and suck it up and figure this out. So I did. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, I imagine that a lot of people go through that moment that, you know, is this even worth it? I hope it's worth it, but only if the future gets brighter, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, and you've done coaching with people. So I, I imagine, you know, what advice do you give to people that are, they're kind of approaching that cliff, right? You could kind of see as they're going into the, like, they're kind of falling out of love with their business. They're not sure if this is the right path. Other stuff looks really interesting. Yeah. What do you impart on people in that space? Yeah. One of the things, you know, I get to, I get asked a lot to talk to kind of new young entrepreneurs and, and, you know, even pre-startup or startup. And one, and one of the things I say all the time, it sounds a little like a platitude, but it's, to me, it's totally true is you have to be willing to say, I am not willing to fail. Like if, if I'm not going to make it, it's because I left every single ounce of everything I have on the field and I just ran out of runway. Like, and if, if you're someone that gets discouraged and has a track record and you've got to look inside and, and I believe I believe anyone can be an entrepreneur, but I also believe you have to have a certain mindset and makeup. And I believe you can learn that mindset and learn that makeup. But if you, if you don't want to, or you're not willing to, then you should never, ever think about an entrepreneurial path. And that mindset is failure is not an option. And again, I know that sounds cliche, but 
It really is. Cause it would have been, I, and when I tell you, I was like, I don't remember a lot of 1997. I was that sleep deprived. And in that moment, it would have been totally easy to say that this, this is crazy. Like I don't see an end in sight and, and I could give up right now. No one would have questioned me and said, Hey, I can't believe you quit. Like, and my mom who did our books and would answer the phone during the day to help out sometimes literally said to me every single day for over a year, this is the dumbest idea you've ever had. You should, you should get rid of this thing tomorrow. So I had the backing of my, my support team and my family to, to throw in the towel. But in hindsight, and, and if you're a young entrepreneur, you're thinking about this path again, anyone can do it, but you better like have the right mindset and, and mental approach to it and failure can't be it, it you can't give up easy because you'll never make it and it, when you hear great success stories there's always some of those moments. i mean you know you do this probably a lot and there's always some of those moments where that was the fork in the road and, and i happened to go right and thank god right was the correct direction or left or whatever it was and and often those are those moments of like do i quit or do i not and you know you, you you can't be willing to throw in the towel unless you know your health's at risk or you you literally exhausted every every option so and yeah, uh, failure is important and and I, I get it like but it's it's failures along the way but but quitting on what you're trying to build that's what i'm talking about not it's okay to fail but it's it's to me not okay to just quit and throw in the towel so, so uh, it's a huge difference, I think, too. And, and, yeah. and I'm curious to know from the time you were in that year where you again were driving yourself to this level of sleep deprivation, how much of it was driven by, you know, this belief that there was something better on the other side and how much was just self abuse? So when I when I talked about my business life flash before my eyes, that final scene was the belief that something better was on the other side. So I was deeply entrenched in that belief in that moment. Um, you know, the running joke about, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel, but wasn't sure if it was an oncoming train. I, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel and listen, it sucked for five more years. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was, it was brutally hard. One of my, one of my running joke pieces of advice is don't start a 24 seven, 365 business unless you have at least five partners, one for each day to work around the clock. But, um, I was, a I was a cap table of one. I was the only, you know, I was the only one. So, but it was in that moment that I saw it and I knew like, not only saw, but knew like internally knew if I stick with this, it's going to work and yeah. there, there's going to be a good outcome. So that's gotta be, I mean, it, it, if it were easy, anyone would do it. Being an entrepreneur is, is probably the most irrational decision anyone can ever make. The odds are stacked. I mean, you know, there's no backstop. It's easier when you're young. It's really hard when you have a family, but, um, but it's also, if it went done well and, and part of your core, it's, it's the single greatest gift you can give yourself, which is freedom and independence. So, but it is irrational in every single way. 
And so you're saying it's not only hard to be an entrepreneur, but also maybe hard to run a 24-7 airline, that that may not be the most rational decision? <laughs> yeah, I would, I, would absolutely, <laughs> I would absolutely say when, when it's only you and it's three in the morning, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely irrational. But yeah, I, I, I think that's probably why a lot of airlines are family businesses, because you need a lot of family members to put up with the shit of it's Christmas, though. And like, nobody cares. It's nobody cares about your personal life anymore. No, no, it's Christmas. I need to get from point A to point B. So that's right. I mean, that's right. Even more so. Yeah. Yeah. No, so we've dealt, we've dealt with a lot of that. And, you know, all kidding aside, sometimes it's I'm not I'm not a great partner so i struggle in partnership style i i'm i'm in part i've been in and i'm currently in partnerships i don't think i make a good partner because i'm so fiercely independent but there are times where it's really nice to have somebody else to just say hey i'm like at the end can you you know can you handle this or can you handle this so there's a lot to be said for having people around you that that you can you know talk to and, and uh and pass things off to when you when you're at the brink or your breaking point and i didn't yeah. have that which you know in hindsight it would have been nice to have yeah the other thing that really stands out in what you said for me is like there have been well most of my life you know i grew up i'm generation two of a family business that i think the vision was survival like when you really think like what do you guys envision for the future it's like just making it through the next pay cycle and figuring yeah. out a way to not go out of business but, you know, there were times where we just kind of adrift and didn't have a vision of the future. And what you said about having that vision, if it will get better, that sounds like the true north of anybody. I mean, even if it's a relationship that's hard, right? If you're like, I'm in a marriage that's really difficult. Yeah. Having that vision of the future seems to be the lifeline that allows people to muster that last bit of energy and push through. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you said that, that really brought that to me. Where like my hardest years were the ones where I didn't know where I was going. Yeah. I didn't you know, know why I was working so hard. It's fascinating. I, I, I think, and especially that I've tripled down on this thought, but I think the most important skill an entrepreneur possesses is creativity. And that was never more apparent. Like I said, I tripled down during COVID. I think that's, that's three times more important than it was in 2019. But I, even in 2019, I think the most important skill you can possess as an entrepreneur is creativity. The second most important skill is optimism because you have to be the, the second that you're pessimistic about the future, you start making suboptimal decisions subconsciously. If you don't see a brighter future, there's a really, really good chance you're going to make suboptimal decisions. So if you can muster, even in the darkest days, you can muster some semblance of optimism. Um, I think that can be the sort of the energy that propels you through. And, you know, I, I know some pretty rock star entrepreneurs names that you would know. And, and that's one of those skills that I'm always amazed that in their darkest days, in the face of like, this is impossible, they're still optimistic. And yeah. I've learned those lessons from some of those people around me. So it's been, been pretty cool. Yeah, the pandemic was a great lesson in that. I, I remember when we first went into it, we doubled very early in the pandemic, partly because when people were basically protecting their cash, we went out and bought anything we could buy that fit with our, we were hire people, hold all of our people, buy new planes, 
because the the thought was if the whole industry goes to zero, I'd rather go down in flames. Like let's have fun with this thing. Yeah. But if it turns the other direction, we might as well play for the win. Yeah. And uh, you're right. If we hadn't had that moment of, you know, there's actually a lot of hope here. I think we would have missed the boat and we would have been stuck defending this square when everyone else had already placed their bets. Yeah. And that, you, you know, you, you say an interesting thing when you talk about defending the square. Sometimes when you've started to taste or have some semblance of success, you're playing not to lose instead of to win. And, and, you know, with our coaching community, we really saw there, there were, there were three very distinct mindsets through the pandemic. And we, we changed from, we used to, we used to get on a call with our coaches once a month. Uh, we were doing two or three calls a week at one point just to see. And it was cool because we have 250 scaling up coaches all around the world. So we were getting to see the pandemic from a global perspective. We had a coach in China, for instance, that was like at the, the tip of the spear and um, Europe and, and South America and, you know, Africa, a couple coaches in Africa and India. And we really saw three distinct kind of mindsets. And, and one was uh, there was a group of entrepreneurs that were being coached by our clients that just went into motion. Like as long as they were in motion, they weren't really thinking about what they were doing, but they had to just take action. Like that was their, and I'm talking about in the very early days, the March, April days of 2020. Yeah. And then the second group, uh, total deer in the headlights. They just froze and didn't know what to do. And their fear like literally caused them to be like completely stuck and no action whatsoever and no creativity or thinking. And then the third group sort of took a step back and said, okay, this is, this is new, but I have relative experience from the past, maybe not directly correlated, but you know, I understand patterns of business and I've got gut instinct and some decision-making chops. Let me just observe and see what's going on. And then let me be, and we, I don't know if you're familiar with OODA loop, O-O-D-A, it's a, from the fighter pilot, John Boyd. So from an OODA loop perspective, they were in observation mode. So no bias, just let me take in all the data that I can. We actually adopted the OODA loop on these, on a weekly sort of rhythm and pace for the coaches. It would, and it would be, all right, this week, we're just going to observe the first O in OODA, O-O-D-A. We're just going to observe no bias. Like we're not going to assign what we think to what we see. We're just going to take in all the data we can. Then in week two, we're going to orient, which is the second O in UDA. Where do we fit in? Like what's, what's our place in what we've just observed? And then a fighter pilot kind of parlance, it's, you know, okay, I've taken in all the data, but where do I fit in the data? Where's my wingman? Where's the sun? Where's, you know, is it cloudy? Is it, is it bright out? Is it windy? All those things. And then the third week was, okay, now we need to make a decision. What are we going to do next? Uh, and then we need to take action. And, and decision and action happened in the same week. We didn't stretch out. Don't decide this week and take action next. But what I love about that framework, that mindset of the OODA loop, is as soon as you take action, you immediately go back into observation mode. And the coaches that were the most successful and the entrepreneurs that were most successful were the ones that immediately as soon as they took an action again went back to no bias and let's just see what happens let's see what's going on and the the, the analogy we give we, we give a million of them but one of the ones that resonates is you think about if you watch basketball a great player takes a three-point shot and they admire their shot 
as it's arcing through the air towards the basket. So they've taken their action, but they're not back to observation yet. They're actually pausing to admire their whatever, their action, their shot. The world-class player, as soon as the ball's left his hand, he doesn't care if it goes in or not. He's right back to observation mode. Okay, where are the opponents? I, I you know, that shot, I, I see it arcing, um, but I'm not going to stand here and admire it. I'm going to, like, figure out where I fit. I'm going to orient again, and I'm making the next decision, and I'm taking the next action before the ball's even to the basket. And, and again, John Boyd, the fighter pilot, said, if I can get my loop tighter... And I can get inside my opponent, and in COVID, we'll call COVID the opponent. If if I can get inside that loop, then I have an advantage over the over the competitor. And and again, it was that third group of our coaches and our clients. And eventually, we got everyone in this mindset was, let's observe, let's orient, let's decide, act, and let's observe again. And and they were the ones that really thrived. And I, I hear with you, you know, you guys buying airplanes, and I, obviously assets were on sale for half price. Uh, that whole time. And it sounds like you went through a lot of those same iterations. Like, all right, see what's going on. Let's see where we are yet. Let's make a decision, take action, and let's see where we are again. So yeah. I admire the fact that you took action during a period where a lot of people were completely stuck. And I that's where creativity that. became, again, I three times more important during that period than it ever was, but always, I think, the most important skill for an entrepreneur. Well, just like any good creativity, I'm going to go completely off script with where I wanted to go with you now that you talked about that. So, of course, cre creativity is an interesting thing for me because, you know, again, as evidenced by the guitars on my wall, I was a musician and I never, I rejected business. I said, I don't want to be a suit. Yeah. Something about being a suit just scared the hell out of me. It was like, that's just death while I'm still alive. And only to find out that for me, going back to the visioning, is that I saw the most important creative act I need to have is to paint a picture so compelling of the future that people would dedicate their life, their time away from their family to help build it. And when it got hard, they'd be like, it's still a really beautiful picture. And it reminds me of what's possible. Yeah. And it's really that, that I was like, wow, I, writing a song is one thing. Building a vision of, of the future that hasn't happened yet. That is just a whole other level of artistry. Yeah. And so I, I am curious to hear more about how you see creativity showing up for you or some of the other people that you've worked with, because I've never really made that connection that maybe I'm actually a good entrepreneur because I may have create, you know, the, the create the creative part of me, not in spite of it. I, I totally, I mean, one of the things you are when you're an entrepreneur is a builder, you're literally creating something out of nothing, whether it's a startup or a new division or a new service offering, or even new marketing materials, new ads, new copy, new content, whatever it is. We, we are blessed. We get the gift as entrepreneurs to be in constant creation mode, you know, because that's, that's literally how you build the future of a business. If you, and, and again, I, I admire the people that show up to make our creative visions reality. And how can we compel people to, to be part of what we want to create? But if you don't create a compelling vision, there's no place for people to show up to play in that game. And I also believe that one of the reasons you're so drawn, and, and again, I'm going to be super assumptive, but part of and my, my oldest, I have a 20 year old who's a singer songwriter. Um, I was just on a United flight and one of the movies in rotation on the United flight as a 20 year old, he's got a songwriting credit in that movie. So he's, wow. he's at the top of his game and, and, and I've watched him grow up as a creative, but 
one of the things that really compels him, and I, I would imagine you, is his creativity, the ability to move other people, right? So you write a song, you write it for yourself first, but you also write it to be out in the world and, and inspire others. It's no different in business. It, creating a, a really compelling vision for a business and building something from nothing, your businesses don't live in a vacuum. They exist to serve customers and serve employees and serve stakeholders. And without the creative energy that goes into the, the building of that, nothing happens. And probably the same reason you want to construct a song for you first, but for others to enjoy is what drives you to, to build a business for you first, but for others to solve a problem or get from A to B or, or show up to work and feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And I think that's our, that's our burden and our gift as entrepreneurs. And I, I don't want to, again, it sounds platitude and cliche, but someone's got to build that stuff, right? Because if, if, if all of us were really good at going to work in other people's visions, there'd be no vision, right? Someone's got to create the compelling case. And yeah, that, that's, that's the thing I love the most about being an entrepreneur is the creation part. So that's yeah. why I'm super, super like adamant that creativity is the most important skill. So yeah, it's again, as you were talking, it just really brought me through of how much both my music and my relationship to the business have followed the exact same arc, which is I used to suffer to create for my own pain. And I'm like, yeah, no wonder why I loved my family's business. It was the most painful thing I could imagine. It was the 24 yeah. seven sleep deprivation. <laughs> I basically lived at the hangar doing the same things, 4 a.m. flights and all types of crazy stuff. And I was like, wow, this, this was, at the end of the day, I was self-referential. How do I make this thing survive for me and for my family? Yeah. And I've noticed over the last five years, this real shift into what is it like to create from abundance? Like, what is it like to create in service of others? My music has become that. My, my business leadership has become that where it's like, yeah, I care more about the culture of the company than even what we do. If we have people that love their day and love the job and love the work that they do and customers that appreciate that, I don't really care what I'm putting out. I don't care if it's airplanes or, you know, we're painting houses. Yeah. So it's really interesting to hear you say that. I've never really visualized how those two things were in lockstep. So it's, it has been my spiritual path, which kind of tees up. I'm curious about yours. And that's really what I think drew me to you in the first place was you talking about, I think it was being on a flight. And I don't want to ruin your story, but I remember you talking about reading one of the Michael Singer books. Yeah. Well, and I definitely want to get into that because it's such a cool story, but just taking one step back for you, I would imagine there was a moment where like you grew up in a family business and we, we see it again in our, in our coaches community. We work with lots and lots and lots of family businesses and in m and I've taken lots of family companies to market. There was probably a moment where you went from feeling like you were sort of forced into the family business as in, in a, in an employment role and quite possibly the worst possible employment role because you didn't have a lot of choice in the matter and, and someone else's vision was guiding what you needed to do at 4 a.m. And then there was probably a flip of the switch like, hey, I have some say, I have a seat at the table, I have a stake in this outcome and I can do some of the creation work. So we see that all the time in, in family business. But fast forward to the to Michael Singer and, and that whole piece to the puzzle. So you know, I, and the flight, you were right. So I battled depression and I strongly believe that a lot of what compels people to be entrepreneurs 
is they are dissatisfied with the status quo. They want to go out and make change in the world. They, they want to create. And a lot of creatives battle depression. A lot of entrepreneurs, I think, battle depression. The stats say seven or eight out of 10 at some point in their entrepreneurial journey will have a, a moderate or greater depressive moment. For me, it was, it started early on. I was, I was a kid, I battled it through high school. I battled it through college, never talked about it. Kind of didn't even really acknowledge it to myself, but it was always with me. And the metaphor I use, it was like having a blanket. And there were sometimes the blanket was really heavy or sometimes I was barely sort of cognizant that it was there, but it was always with me and it was always sort of weighing me down. And, and then I, I go through my, there were some dark days, like I shared ripping the thing out of the wall. That was a super depressive period. And so I go all the way through to the end and I, I sell the company and, you know, should have been the happiest kind of set of moments in my life, but still battling. Like now you sort of lose your identity and, um, you know, and, and all the things that went with it. So it was really like, it actually kind of heightened my depressive state. And again, my, my arc was, you know, from at times suicidal to times barely, barely recognized that I was depressed, but it was always with me. And I was part of a group called Genius Network. I'm still part of it today. A guy named Joe Collis out in Phoenix. And, um, and, and Joe's a, a a great mentor to entrepreneurs and he's been on his own journey with addiction and all sorts of other stuff. So, but like one of those real good curators of like groups and, and thought leadership and ideas. So I, I went out to one of his meetings and, and, uh, we would meet three or four times a year in Phoenix and he had put out in front of everyone at their, at their, you know, seat, the untethered soul by Michael Singer. And one of the weird things that happened when I was in my more depressive states, I lost my ability to read and I'm a lifelong learner. Like I, I believe that that's another like a creativity, optimism, lifelong learner, probably third on the list of important skills for entrepreneurs to possess. But when you can't read, it's hard. And then, you know, you video and audible and stuff, but I literally had kind of lost, I could read a page or two and then have a really bad headache. The words started to look weird. And so, the books out there. I'm like, yeah, great. I can't read anyway. So I tuck it in my briefcase. Um, and I, I was flying the TBM at the time, but Phoenix, I would only do the TBM from, from Wilmington, Philly area to Phoenix if I had other stops to make. So I happened to be on a commercial flight. And, uh, so the books in the briefcase, I'm flying home somewhere over probably Nebraska. And I, I don't even know why I reached down, but I reached down and pulled out the untethered soul. And, um, I started to read and I realized I'm like 10 pages in 20 pages in 30 pages in and kind of like, well, I'm surprised I can even get this far. Cause normally it's two pages and I'm done. And I get somewhere, I don't know, probably, I, I think I should know what page it is, but there's a section in the book where they talk about depression and trauma and, and how, a lot of times we just suppress negative emotions instead of dealing with them and moving on from them and um, that you carry negative emotions like physical energy inside your body. And if you can just let it go, um, oftentimes you, you let it go forever. And um, that's fascinating. And then again, he talks, Michael Singer talks in the book about if you can just sort of like 
when you're experiencing negativity instead of like cramming it down like just sort of moved by but he said but you've got years if not decades of other negative that you've crammed in and the best way to get rid of it is to just kind of and and again it's a physical like reference but it's on a mental topic but he's like just kind of lean away from it and, and like feel your heart open up and like know that all that negative is like down near your stomach and just sort of let it like come out, come up, relive it one more time and let it go. So I'm like, yeah, you know, that's, that's, and whatever. I'm, I'm just happy. I'm reading. I'm like, oh, it's an interesting idea. And I don't know what made me do it, but I just sort of sat back in, in my seat, sitting in like row two in first class. Right. And I just sort of sit back in my seat and I, I let like some weird negative thing I was thinking about, like, it did exactly what he described in the book. And like, I like feel it in my chest, like, and it comes up and I like felt this weird thing in my throat and I watched it sort of go away. And I was like, Oh, that was interesting. So like, I let like something else go. And next thing I know, my whole body's like, I put my finger in a electrical socket. I'm like, literally like, I feel like I'm like humming, like vibrating. All this energy is like flooding into me. And all this negative shit, and sorry to curse on your podcast, but it's okay. We can put all, it explicit. All this negative stuff, we can make it, we can make it stuff. All this negative stuff <laughs> is like coming out of me. And I'm like buzzing, like, like absolutely euphoric. And I realize, which is the hilarious part, that like tears of joy are literally streaming down my face face to where they're like dripping on my shirt and i remember distinctly having this moment where i'm like oh my gosh i am sure everyone in first class thinks i'm absolutely out of my mind and i'm like probably preparing to take this plane down right so i put sunglasses on because i'm so like i'm not even embarrassed i'm just aware like what is this sociopath doing in 2C, like crying like this? And they, it was not like, it wasn't like, it was just euphoria. Like just, so I get off the plane and I'm still like total, like, like vibration, like buzz state that lasted. And, and for the first time since I was 12, the blanket was gone. And I mean, like totally gone. I felt lighter. I felt like it was, a, it was crazy. Like, I know this story contextually sounds bizarre, but trust me, it was like that lasted for six weeks. And it was funny because I had a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in probably six months and she FaceTimed me. She had a question. She was doing an acquisition and she wanted to ask about it. And she FaceTimed me. And she's like, oh, my God, you look like you've lost, like, 50 pounds. I had not lost an ounce. But she noticed in the first 10 seconds on a FaceTime that this weight that was on me, which was this blanket, literally was gone. And it was, and I can't tell you how many people in that ensuing six weeks while I was still, like, totally connected to this energy were like, you look totally different. And nothing had changed except for, except for that. So... Obviously, and I tell that story from stage, and and I've recommended the Untethered Soul to thousands of people. I get people that I don't even know all the time come up to me, and they're like, 
can't believe it that that totally changed me so for anyone that's you know battling depression and 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 it's not a cure-all for everybody but there's some great like mindsets in there about just how to release stuff that is not serving us at all that we're holding on to just because we didn't want to deal with it in the first place i mean some of this stuff i was carrying around for decades and it all just sort of went so it's a crazy story it's crazy and that's amazing i was not i had a spiritual awakening moment actually in the british virgin islands on necker island but i was not a super spiritual person at this particular moment in time i became one down the road i am now but i was not like this wasn't a woo woo i'm like super spiritual this was just a technique on how to get rid of negative crap that we're carrying around so that's I, a beautiful story again beautiful, i was affected by it, it was I, I heard it like 10 years ago or eight years ago or something and it always stuck with me i still to this day have people that will come up to me and it's tell believe me when i tell you i was probably with you if you were scaling up probably in front of seven or eight hundred people and i get emotional yeah. when i tell it and it's hard to do that and be that vulnerable in front of that number of people but i actually feel like it's my responsibility because it happened for me to, to go through it to share so that's why i share it i don't share because it it's fun to get on stage and cry in front of seven other people <laughs> but uh but it was it was the most powerful uh, to that point in my life it was the most powerful thing i'd ever experienced so it was wow. crazy that's a yeah it's a big one and i think it's that weight i see it all the time especially with entrepreneurs i see it yeah. all the time where you know you ask the question at a conference how's it going it's good and you know yeah. or it's it's great and you're like no i see the weight i see the weight on you yeah uh it, it is beautiful to see that you know books like michael singer's books and that was a that was a big one for me too that was definitely one that was like oh shit there's like a whole other realm of stuff going on here that i can't quite understand yeah uh, but but you know coming coming through something like that and later finding a connection to spirituality I am curious what you know what have you found or what what is the relationship to fulfillment as you've kind of gone through the door of like you had a lot of the external trappings of success I mean literally you're living the I got the plane I sold the company I did all that stuff um how has that changed your concept of fulfillment for yourself Well you know it, one thing that I've really like and again the lesson just get, gets repeated over and over and over to the point where you have to like you can't not pay attention to it anymore some of the most successful people that I know, and, and I'm, I'm fortunate or, or not maybe to be surrounded by ultra, ultra successful people all the time. And the vast majority of them are completely unhappy. They're completely out of alignment. And the more unhappier they are, the harder they work, and the more success they find and the more they chase it, the more unhappy they are. And it becomes this really like disempowering circle and some of the happiest people i know are they have they have whatever level of success they have but they're comfortable in their own skin they're excited about the future they love to be around their friends and family and they're grateful for the littlest things in the moment and they're not chasing stuff that at the end of the day doesn't matter and and yeah, I get it. It's it's easy to say that if you've had, you know, kind of the successful outcomes that I've had. But I can tell you that at my peak of success, I was the least happy. 
and now I would say where I don't chase success anymore and it's not, you know, and, and I've, I've invested a lot in others and I, I've done a lot of things and my level of success today is probably less than it was at, at its peak. But I find gratitude in things now that I used to not have time for because I was so busy chasing some ideals. So, uh, and, and again, money can buy you happiness to a point where you've got enough to be an independent thinker and do the things you want to do. And so I'm not saying this is like, don't worry about making money. Don't worry about being successful. But if you can't find gratitude along the way, you're going to chase happiness forever and be miserable. And that's, that's probably the biggest lesson there. There's a guy named Dan Sullivan. He's got an organization called strategic coach. I don't know. Do you know, are you familiar with Dan yeah. coach? Yeah, no, Dan. Dan, Dan has this great metaphor. And if, if we have time, I'm happy to share because I think it's super powerful. Let's our, do it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dan has this great metaphor. He talks about the gap and we live in the gap. And the way he describes it is take your three-year-old self back to the first time you were ever on a beach. And that's about the time in our life that we have enough awareness to realize that we can see the horizon of the ocean. So when you stand on the beach, you look out in the ocean and, and when you're six feet tall, it's about six miles. So I guess when you're three and you're three feet tall, it's maybe three miles, but you can see that there's an edge to the ocean. And then he fast forwards and he, and he says, okay, we, we know that the rest of our lives that there's this horizon on the ocean. And then he uses the metaphor when we, when we start to try and achieve and set goals, we naturally set our goals out on the horizon. And then we get in the boat and we start to sail towards our goal. And so we've, we've put it out on the horizon. We start to sail, sail towards it. And what happens when we're a mile or two miles away from that goal? What's our, what's the view out of the front of the boat? It's the next horizon and the next horizon and the next horizon and the horizon never comes. Yeah. And what happens is we, we finally get to the goal, but we've lost interest in that because we're still looking at the horizon, which is still six miles away. Cause it's always going to be six miles away until we get to Europe, I guess. But, and what we fail to do is when we pass that original milestone, that original horizon, we forget to turn around and look and see how far we've come. So his, again, his mind map thinking exercise is when you pass that first horizon, just drop a buoy in the water. And then when you get to the next horizon, drop another buoy in the water. And every once in a while, he calls it the gap. We're always in the gap between the horizon and where the boat is. And it never changes because the horizon moves as we move forward. And his mindset is drop a buoy in the water when you, when you pass those horizons. And every once in a while on the boat, just stand up and turn around and take a look at the string of boobies behind. And that will ground you and help you understand that you've achieved along the way that, that the, the discontent that you're still six miles away and you're always six miles away from the next horizon. If you can see the string of boobies, then, you know, you, you feel better about, about what you've accomplished and what you passed. And that, that one really sticks with me all the time. Cause I, I'm guilty of living in the gap all the time. I'm never sat like I'm always yeah. setting new goals. I'm always seeing new horizons and I forget a lot to stand up and turn around and look at the buoys in the water. And that's, that's what kids are great for. You can, you know, your kids become your, you know, 
you're, you're expression of your success and you get to see them all the time and get reminded that it's not just about chasing goals out on the horizon. So that's beautiful. Yeah. And I, I, I think that kind of brings me up to my, my last question for you, which is, you know, as a creative and as someone who can create beautiful visions of what's possible, what do you, you know, what's your dream beyond? What do you wake up dreaming about? So, you know, I'm a huge believer in, in purpose, core values, kind of, you know, and I really struggled for an incredibly long time defining my purpose. And, uh, I always kind of knew, like all of us know, like sort of intuitively what gets us excited and what we're about and what we stand for, what we stand against, but not many of us in our research or in, in our world have really been able to like articulate it to a point where it's compelling. And I'm embarrassed to say with all the, all the work that I do in this space and, and in, you know, in helping entrepreneurs, I finally was able to distill my purpose into a phrase. And I'm literally talking about in the last month, two months. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. I'm 52. Um, but my purpose is really to make the complex simple for entrepreneurs. So I always knew I want, because what happened early on in those dark, lonely days, there were some people that showed up in my life with, with no stake in my outcome and paid it forward. I, I actually don't believe in the term give back because give back means you took something from someone. And I think entrepreneurs create, they don't take, but so that's a, that's a semantics thing for me, but I believe you can give forward when, when someone's done something for you that propels you, then it's your responsibility to give forward to someone else. So I always knew I wanted to live in service of entrepreneurs because so many people came and gave forward to me. Um, but I wasn't totally clear, but now I've got an ability to look at complex situations and things and explain them in a way that makes them make sense. And that's really my purpose for the entrepreneur that's struggling and, and trying to figure it all out. If I can, if I can make it a little bit easier for them or a little simpler, or explain things in a way that make a little bit more sense and, and have them go, Oh, I, I get that now. And, and here's how I can apply that. Then that, then that's a success for me. So that's, that's kind of my purpose. But, um, but yeah, I, I want to be in service to, I want to do for other entrepreneurs what was done for me early on. And I believe really deeply that the middle market, the companies like yours and the companies like ours are the ones that make all the things in the world happen. They, they make, they create seven out of 10 jobs. Um, they create all the innovative, all the innovative stuff. Listen, the fortune 500, the global 1000, they all play an important role. And, you know, we're on technology created by, by that group. And, but it's the middle market that really kind of brings texture and, and I think the best things to life. And, and the middle market is a bunch of crazy entrepreneurs that see gaps in the market and see mismatches in the world and, and are discontent with the status quo and wake up every day to, to make change. And yeah, do they, do some of them get to participate along the way and have massive success and build wealth and everything else? Yes. But the wealth is an outcome. The creation is what we all get to benefit from. And if I can 
if I can help that group in any way, even if it's one-to-one, then, you know, that's a successful day for me. So that's beautiful. Well, from a, from the perspective of your purpose, I'll say you spent the last hour distilling down so many concepts to make it really simple. And I really hear that. I really hear that aspect of it. And I I don't want to overlook the fact that you're an incredible storyteller. I think that in many ways, you know, this stuff can sound boring. It can sound like a textbook. And when you tell it through your story, I think people can't help but find themselves on the edge of the seat going like, holy shit, I just learned something and I was entertained and I was feeling not alone. So I think in many ways, the um, uh, one of my uh, favorite authors, Jamie Wheel, talks a lot about the idea that your purpose lives at the intersection of your trauma and your talent. And here's all these entrepreneurs wandering the world feeling alone. And it sounds like that's where you came from. And it seems like your mission is a lot of touching on that is I don't want people to feel alone in that space. And acknowledging that, man, that is a being an entrepreneur is a spiritual path, whether or not you mean it to be right. I really, really get that. Yeah. And and the more that you can kind of open your mind to that. And, and I think the more opportunity there is to, and that's how you build gratitude kind of right in front of you and you don't have to chase stuff around. So I know it's a little woo woo dick and I was not like that for a really long time. And, but when I was, when I finally started to connect those dots, it was it was way more fun and and you know, kind of way less lonely and and way less frustrating than it had been prior. So For sure, I well, appreciate I'll, you saying that. Yeah, it's it's real. I'm I'm again inspired, even though I've heard that story before. I hear it again. I'm like, man, it's such a it's such a beautiful, relatable experience, and I think it gives a lot of hope, even to me in this moment of like I've had many of those moments, but it does give a lot of hope that there's a lot of people that can receive that help, and there's a lot of work to be done still. And uh, that's partly why I do the podcast. It's just a chance to say, how do we tell the stories that can move people? Right. And that's the hope. So hopefully someone will hear and someone will be moved. And at least one person sends me a message about how your share moved them. I would just be like, yeah, man, I'm part of it. I'm part of it. I went from being a listener to a participant in your story. You know, it's fascinating you say that too. I, I just, I was, I was with a group last week on a really cool trip that we go on every year and and it's, it's a group of change maker entrepreneurs. And, and there's this mindset like, oh, I want to impact a million people or a billion people. And I want to change the world. And I want to do like all these grandiose things. I remember I asked someone on the trip, like, you know, who said, I want to, I want to impact a million people. And I, I was like, well, what's the magic about a, a million people? And we have this amazing conversation that what if you impact one person and the ripple effect of that impacts? A million people and then they impact another person and their ripple effect is a million and this this mindset that yeah if you could just get to like if you could just move the needle one degree for one person you've you've made a change in the world and i think sometimes and, and i know entrepreneurs that are discontented by the idea that they feel like they've only affected a hundred thousand and not a million and i'm more about the one like if i can connect to one person and and you know, kind of change one person's path, then I have faith that that changes everything. And the ripple effect of those actions change everything. And and we had lots of great discussions about that last week. So I, I appreciate you saying if one person reaches out and says then it was a success because I, I feel the same way. So yeah, well, thanks, thanks we for that. See, right. We create yeah. all these ripples, but we don't get to see their impact. And then we're discontented, but all this good was created. And sometimes you just have to trust to put it out there. And if it, if it meets one person at the one right point in time, then it was a win. 
So. Yeah, and that's uh, that's very much how I've been operating. And and so I'll sum up what I think I heard today because there was so much amazing stuff in such a short amount of time. We talked about you know three three really important traits of entrepreneurs: creativity, optimism, being a lifelong learner, and your perspective. Uh, really being able to vision for the future. Check out the OODA loop. I love the OODA loop. Obviously, also as a pilot, you know, I'm really into yeah, John Boyd. Sure. Uh, depression, suicidal ideation, mental health in general in this space, something that is completely overlooked still. And there's a lot of, you know, I come from an industry where if you, God forbid, say you've struggled with mental health, you'll lose your license. Like they'll take your license away depending on yeah. what it is. So it's a lot of shaming and causing people to live in a prison of their own experience. And and again, I, I also I, I read the gap in the gain and your telling of it, the, the buoy yeah. concept I, I did not get from the book. So I appreciate you saying it that way. And really that taking that moment to turn around and go, wow, look how far I've come. I do think we often forget that. So yeah. um, man, I, I really hope we get to talk more about these kind of things soon. And um yeah this was just really beautiful and hopefully you, you were you were also moved by what john shared again if one of you was please send me a message i'll also let john know that we're affecting one person at a time and that's really what it's about yeah. um and in the meantime uh john has just launched the full circle mastermind which you could check out full circle mm.com uh i'd also have to say untethered soul check it out if you don't know it gap in the game check it out if you don't know it john are there any other things you want to recommend based on what we talked about yeah, I mean, the OODA loop, for sure, if you just Google OODA loop, I mean, that's from a from a mindset kind of thinking methodology standpoint, I love it. Um, certainly Michael Singer. And and I actually believe um, that The Untethered Soul, excellent, but also uh, the other book that Michael wrote, um, which is Surrender Experiment, that kind of tells the story of how he got to write Untethered Soul. And he actually wrote them in reverse order, but... Um, I really like that book as well. And it's, it's, you know, and you can go see Michael Singer actually he's in, we, I've, I've been to his place that he talks about in surrender experiment three or four times out in it's like West of Gainesville in the middle of the woods. But, um, and he Mondays and Thursdays, I, I, it used to be, I, I assume it still is, but you can actually go out there and, and uh, you know, and see him in person that, I, it was cool. I had the opportunity to tell him, Hey, I read the, I told him the story. I read the untethered soul. Here's what happened. And, uh, it, it's always nice to go back and tell someone, Hey, you put all this work into this and here's how it impacted me. So, um, yeah, that, that, I, I think you've covered it, Nick. That's, uh, incredible. And well, thank you so for much for pouring your heart into it that you do for sure. Yeah, man. My, my, my pleasure. Like I said, I appreciate you putting the heart into it and maybe next time you go down to see Michael, I'll, uh, I'll meet you down there or something like that. That'd be really lovely. Yeah, it's right into Gainesville, and then you drive 20 minutes to the middle of nowhere, and you're there. So, yeah, I'd love to do that. Incredible. Well, thanks. Thanks again. I hope everyone was, was moved, and uh, I hope you all have a lovely day. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to The Dream Beyond. I hope that you received whatever message or inspiration you were meant to get from today's episode. I had a great time recording it for you. If you love the show, please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review it. That really helps get the word out. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Instagram.com slash Nick Tarasio, LinkedIn.com slash in slash Nick Tarasio, or YouTube.com slash N Tarasio.